God loves those who argue. I've become increasingly concerned about the assault on free speech taking place throughout the West, particularly in university campuses. It's being done in the name of safe space, that is, space in which you're protected against hearing views which might cause you distress. And then there are trigger warnings and microaggressions, that is, any remark that someone might find offensive even if no offence is meant. So far as this gone, that at the beginning of 2017 academic year, students at an Oxford college banned the presence of a representative of the Christian Union on the grounds that some might find their presence alienating and offensive. Increasingly, speakers with controversial views are being disinvited. The number of such incidents on American college campuses rose from six in the year 2000 to 44 in 2016. Undoubtedly, this entire movement was undertaken for the highest of motives, to protect the feelings of the vulnerable. That is a legitimate ethical concern. Jewish law goes to extremes in condemning Lashon Hara, hurtful or derogatory speech, and the sages were careful to use what they called Lashon Saginahor, what we call in English euphemism, to avoid language that people might find hurtful or offensive. But a safe space is not one in which you silence dissenting views. To the contrary, it's a, a real safe space is one in which you give a respectful hearing to views opposed to your own, knowing that your views too will be listened to respectfully. That is academic freedom, and it's essential to a free society. As George Orwell said, if liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they don't want to hear. John Stuart Mill likewise wrote that one of the worst offences against freedom is to stigmatise those who hold contrary opinion as bad and immoral men. That is happening today in institutions that are supposed to be the guardians of academic freedom. We are coming perilously close to what Julian Bender in, called in 1927 Le Trison Claire the treason of the intellectuals, in which he said that academic life had been degraded to the extent that it had allowed itself to become an arena for, in his words, the intellectual organization of political hatreds. What is striking about Judaism, and we see this starkly in this week's parasha, is that argument and the hearing of contrary views is the essence of religious life. Moses argues with God. That's one of the most striking things about him. He argues with him on their first encounter at the burning bush. Four times he resists God's call to lead the Israelites to freedom until finally God gets angry with him. More significantly, at the end of the parish, he says to God, Look, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why did you send me? Since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. This is extraordinary language for a human being to use to God. But Moses wasn't the first to do so. The first was Abraham, who said on hearing of God's plan to destroy the cities of the plain, Hashofet kolaretz lo yasemish, but shall the judge of all the earth not do justice? 
Similarly, Jeremiah, posing the age-old question of why bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people, asked, Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? In the same vein, Habakkuk challenged God, Why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Job, who challenges God's justice, is vindicated in the book that bears his name, while his friends who defended divine justice are said not to have spoken correctly heaven in short is not a safe space in the current meaning of the phrase to the contrary god loves those who argue with him or so it seems from tanakh equally striking is the fact that the sages continued a tradition they even gave it a name they called it machoket l'shem shamayim argument for the sake of heaven defined as debate for the sake of truth as opposed to victory the result is that Judaism is, perhaps uniquely, a civilization all of whose canonical texts are anthologies of arguments. Midrash operates on the principle that there are shivim panim lo Torah, 70 faces to Torah, and thus every verse is open to multiple interpretations. The Mishnah is full of paragraphs like uh, of the form Rabbi X says this and Rabbi Y says that, and the Talmud says in the name of God himself about the conflicting views of the schools of Hillel and Shammai that elu ve'elu divre'elu kim chaim, these and those are both the words of the living God. A standard edition of Mikrod Gedolot consists of the biblical text surrounded by multiple commentaries and even commentaries on the commentaries. The standard edition of the Babylonian Talmud has the text surrounded by the often conflicting views of Rashi and the Balei Tosvot. Moses Maimonides, writing his masterpiece of Jewish law, the Mishnah Torah, took the almost unprecedented step of presenting only the halachic conclusion without the arguments. The ironic but predictable result was that the Mishnah Torah was eventually surrounded by an endless array of commentaries and arguments, probably the most argued over book in Jewish law. In Judaism, there is something holy about argument. Why so? First, because only God can see the totality of truth for us. Mere mortals who only see the fragments of the truth at any one time, there is an irreducible multiplicity of perspectives. We see reality now one way, now another. The Torah provides us with a dramatic example in its first two chapters, which give us two creation accounts, both true, but from different vantage points. The different voices of priest and prophet, Hillel and Shammai, philosopher and mystic, historian and poet, each capture something essential about the spiritual life. Even within a single genre, the sages noted no two prophets prophesy in the same style. The Torah is a conversation scored for many voices. That's the first reason. The second is because justice presupposes the principle that in Roman law is termed aude alterem partem, hear the other side. That's why God wants an Abraham, a Moses, a Jeremiah and a Job to challenge him, sometimes to plead for mercy or, as in the case of Moses at the end of this week's parsha, to urge him to act swiftly in defense of his people. Both the case for the prosecution and the defense must be heard if justice is to be done and seen to be done. The pursuit of truth and justice require the freedom to disagree. The Natsiv argued that it was the prohibition of disagreement that was the sin of the builders of Babel. What we need, therefore, is not safe spaces, but rather civility.
that is to say, giving a respectful hearing to views with which we disagree. In one of its loveliest passages, the Talmud tells us that the views of the school of Hillel became law because they were pleasant and they didn't take offense, and because they taught the views of their opponents as well as their own, and because they taught the views of their opponents before they taught their own. And where do we learn this from? From God himself, who chose as his prophets people who were prepared to argue with heaven for the sake of heaven, in the name of justice and truth. When you learn to listen to views different from your own, realizing that you are not threatened, but enlarged, then you have discovered the life-changing idea of argument for the sake of heaven.